This podcast is supported by Camp Coffee Company in Oceanside, California. Camp Coffee is a true locals cafe that happens to serve excellent coffee and food. Check out the at We Are Camp Coffee Instagram feed and you'll see more than lattes perfectly quaffed with foam. You'll see the community of Oceanside. You'll see lives being lived. You'll see Oside expanding and contracting with the seasons. And you'll see the smiles on the faces of people who found their happy place nestled into the corner of downtown at Camp Coffee. On CampCoffee.com, you can order food or coffee for pickup from the cafe, see the newest camp swag, I happen to have the t-shirt and a coffee mug, and even order whole coffee beans. So you're never short on the days you can't get to camp. On the patio at Camp Coffee, lives are intertwined and neighbors become friends over coffee and tea and probably with a pastry or one of their iconic grilled cheese sandwiches. Head to CampCoffeeCompany.com to learn more or visit your new coffee family at Camp Coffee Company in downtown Oceanside. I'm very warmed up today. I've been doing vocal exercises in the form of eating breakfast and drinking coffee. Hey everyone, welcome to this Coffee Smarter Chat, hosted by me, Ryan Wolt of Roast West Coast. This is the coffee podcast where we try to help you, the listeners and the readers of our coffee newsletter at roastwestcoast.com, make a better cup of coffee at home. I'm joined once again by my coffee sensei, Chris O'Brien. He's the founder and head roaster of Coffee Cycle Roasting in Pacific Beach, San Diego, California, uh, which is probably the epicenter of the entire coffee world, if I'm not mistaken. (laughs) Well, as uh, coffee shops keep opening up all around mine in a quarter mile radius, it certainly does feel that way uh, sometimes. Um, But I I would definitely disagree in in factual terms, but it's it's, it's a a good place to get a cup of coffee if you're coming to my shop. Absolutely. Uh, Well, that actually leads right into what we're going to be talking about today, which is kind of the growth of coffee over time. I think to enjoy coffee, to truly enjoy what I'm drinking, and this might just be me because I'm a little bit uh, off the rails, I think it's important to learn context about how we got to this point where we have so much great coffee in condensed areas. Like where I live, I can walk to a half a dozen coffee shops and get a pretty good cup of coffee. You know, I know where you are. You can well, you have your place and then everything around it seems you know, a little bit dulled, but it's still decent coffee comparatively, right? Absolutely. I apologize if there's another great coffee shop uh, in that area, but I know that Chris's <laughs> coffee is excellent, so I'm supporting it. So I'm kind of asking for a history lesson today. When I'm drinking my coffee in the morning, I want to kind of know a little bit about how we got here where I can have this amazing cup of coffee just at my fingertips all the time, either at home or out in the world. Can you help us? Can you teach me? Absolutely. Absolutely. So confident. (laughs) Well, I mean, I can tell you what I know, which is not everything. But I know enough that it could kind of help shed some light. And I think, you know, both of us are kind of of a similar age. And so we've kind of seen a lot of changes in coffee happen in our lifetimes. 
And so if we think back to coffee, you know, I, I saw the other day as I was, I was on my, my phone, I saw this great video, which is a, a coffee commercial from, I think it was the sixties. It might've been the fifties, but it was a coffee commercial for instant Folgers from the early sixties. It was very funny and cute and I really enjoyed it. But in it, this, this, um, lady is making coffee for her husband and her husband is quite verbally abusive about her inability to make a good cup of coffee. So not the cutest part of the, of the, uh, of the commercial, but you know, it was a different time. Then she gets clued in by her, her girlfriend that she should try instant Folgers and she serves instant Folgers to her husband and her husband gets very excited and says, wow, this is a great cup of coffee. And so this kind of older style of coffee where, where instant Folgers is, is a nice coffee. Uh, Maxwell House is good to the last drop. Um, this is kind of the origins of where we, we start talking about coffee. And there was, in recent history, probably about 20-ish years ago, there was a lady named Trish Rothkub. Uh, and I do not know if I'm pronouncing her name properly at all, but it was, in about, about, it was about 20 years ago. Trish Rothkub, she coined the term third wave coffee, and it's become very, very heavily used in the coffee industry. Sometimes we call it the specialty coffee industry to kind of differentiate us from the Maxwell Houses and the Folgers that are still very present um, and out there in the world. We like to coin specialty as separate from Keurigs and some other some other devices that you might be familiar with. But all of us coffee professionals that really are trying to make coffee better or make it as best as it can possibly be, uh, we tend to like this this language that she coined. And if we start with that language and then we go backwards, we find that this Maxwell House Folgers era is sort of what we like to call first wave. Now, coffee's been around for longer than that, so it might be a bit of a misnomer. If we think about first wave coffee, we're thinking about pots of coffee at the diner, whether you get the orange handle or the black handle. That's the only kind of coffee you get out. Maybe you get an espresso with dinner. Uh, is maybe the only time you'll ever get espresso if you go to like a fancy restaurant that wants to be so fancy that they're they they're Italian and they have they have espresso for dinner. But that's the only kind of coffee you would ever get out. You're never going out to buy coffee. You're making coffee at home. The coffee's coming from a can, mm -hmm. almost definitely pre-ground or instant. Um, there's no and we're no grinders you're getting at home. Maybe there's a hand grinder for home. What were you gonna say, Ryan? I was going to say, and we're kind of talking about in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, kind of that era of coffee. And I would add, I this was just something I read recently and it was kind of learning more about, but during World War II, I believe, coffee was mandated to be part of the pack given to soldiers when they went overseas. And it created this immense demand for an instant coffee hmm. or a coffee that could be ground quickly on site, on the ground, because... Uh, like cigarettes, it was essential to keeping the the soldiers motivated. You know, waking yeah. up and having a cup of coffee made them feel like, for a minute, they were back at home instead of on the front. You know, it's interesting because, you know, not to tangent for too long, there's still a very large demand for instant coffee. And some specialty coffee and some third wave coffee, which sometimes those terms are used interchangeably. We'll kind of get to that in a minute. They're trying to make instant coffees that are, you know, of a comparable quality to their really high-end specialty coffees that they're making in their shops. 
they're trying to give you that same experience in instant package in case you're traveling or at war against, you know, a uh, dominating superpower. So if you think about first wave coffee, it's very easy to think about. We think about those cans of coffee. We think about black handle versus orange handle. We think about a lot of early instant coffees, uh, flavor crystals, U-Ban, chock full of nuts, <laughs> all these all these things that are, you know, sort of marketing ploys from, from an earlier time. That first wave coffee is still around. If you go to a diner, there's still going to be a black handle or an orange handle. The coffee is probably going to be of a similar quality as it was 20, 30 years ago. And so what, what, what was next? What was after that? And after that is when we sort of see the emergence of this concept of a coffee shop built around an espresso machine where drinks are made to order. And that espresso machine is a key component. And the espresso machine, as we know it today, didn't really come around until around the turn of the century, 1900 or so. And it really didn't become much more popular until much later. And there's certainly references to its emerging rise in popular culture in some popular culture films and videos and things like that uh, i remember very distinctly there's a scene in the movie anchorman where you know they're sort of portraying this 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 time in the, in the 80s or maybe even early 90s where there there's a brief moment where the television newscaster goes and here's a story about the cappuccino a cup of coffee wait till you see how much it costs you you know and this this kind of this joke around the idea that people are going to go to a place to buy nothing else except coffee, but they're going to get a cup of coffee that's made from an espresso machine using steam milk and someone who's trained to use that machine. And that's where this idea of second wave comes in. We're thinking a lot of like syrups added to espresso and milk. We're thinking, you know, blenders and back. And when I talk about first wave versus second wave versus third wave, I, I usually use, you know, the easiest example to think of a second wave shop that still is very prevalent today. You're thinking about Starbucks. And Starbucks likes to dabble into the third wave when they can. They want to try to get some of that market share. But generally, they're very much a second wave shop where it's built around this sort of assembly line idea of people going in and coming out. They're customizing their drink with syrups and flavors. And it's built around this espresso machine. And it's built around the idea of Starbucks having these blends of coffee that are consistent and that you can choose one that's that's going to be your favorite. And they've kind of created these flavor profiles by blending coffees from around the world into a house blend and a Komodo dragon blend and a Verona veranda blend. You know, and whatever all the names of their blends are going to be, you know, they were not the only ones to do this. Plenty of shops, when first wave transitioned to second wave, we started to see these shops kind of emerge. Plenty of shops start having these house name blends. So blended coffees and blending coffee, nothing wrong with it. In fact, it's kind of a wonderful, wonderful art that sometimes gets looked down upon in the third wave. But blending coffee is something that third wave coffee starts getting away from a little bit. Because third wave coffee is an evolution from second wave coffee where you still have that shop built around an espresso machine where you go to get a cup of coffee made just for you. And there are, my, there are probably still going to be syrups and flavors that you can add to it. But the focus is going to be on the coffee itself, at least as far as where the, 
the owners and designers and, and roasters are going to be. They're going to focus on what we call single origin coffees. So they're celebrating farm origin or producer origin. Where exactly did the coffee come from? Is it a blend? Is it a blend from five different farms in Guatemala? Is it a single farm? Is it from a single producing factory or mill in Colombia or Ethiopia or wherever it is you're getting your coffee from? You celebrate farm origin or producer origin, and you also celebrate coffee as a fruit. I would point out too, just the use of the terminology waves. I think as you're saying it, I'm almost envisioning it, but it's essentially kind of these overlapping time periods where there is there is change in kind of not just the theory, but in how we look at coffee and how we look at the industry and growth in technology and innovation as we go forward. But it doesn't all happen like on the, on January 1st, 1985, we go from you know first to second wave. It happens over a period of a couple of decades even or longer. You know, the first wave, I think you would say is much longer than the second wave. The second wave transitioned to the third wave in roughly a period of two decades, the 80s and the 90s. And then in the late 90s, early 2000s, we start you start seeing that wave break into what you're talking about now, which is specialty coffee, if I'm not mistaken on my timeline. Yes. And, but again, it's not like you can look at the calendar and say, on this day, at this, you know, in this year, we switched. It just, it doesn't work like that. Different parts of the world are treating coffee differently at different times. But these are general concepts about how we're viewing and valuing, I think, coffee. And I think, you know, that's one of the reasons why she chose to coin it as a wave rather than, you know, any other way of differentiating. These are not coffee eras. Uh, these are not coffee periods. This is something that's ongoing and just is a helpful differentiator to help you think about what is the difference between a small micro roaster that buys coffee beans directly from a farmer and roasts them up, you know, to, you know, their peak of flavor versus a bigger company that's going and buying, you know, thousands of pounds of coffee and then mixing them together to get a, a homogenous product that tastes the, relatively the same year after year. Yeah, I would say there's a part of that too is just kind of the information the consumer has, you know, in, in those first waves and you're, okay, regular decaf, you know, dark, not so dark, you yeah. know, and then in the second wave, you're kind of going, oh, well, I want to add, th these are other things I get to add into my coffee to make it unique in, to me, you know, I can add whip or I can add foam or I can add uh, raspberry, white chocolate, monin syrups, you know, or whatever it is. But you're not necessarily knowing a lot about the coffee's origin or information about the coffee itself. You know, it comes from, you know, Starbucks or Pete's or wherever. And then in the third wave, all of a sudden there's this transition where it's like, hey, appreciate this more. And here's why. Here's where it came from. You know, you mentioned here's the farm it came from. Here's how we sourced it. Fair trade becomes a term people become familiar with and and we're not going to get into fair trade today so much but just <laughs> there was a time where just like what maybe what we say is like a b certification today you know that very first wave of fair trade was kind of was really innovative and i remember going to a coffee shop in madison wisconsin that i think is still there i'm going to look it up and they had this big we buy our coffee fair trade sign in the window and i had never seen that and i didn't even know what it meant and i asked and i learned from that barista a little bit about the coffee market and how farmers were being treated and why they cared about that as a topic. And that was the beginning of my coffee education before I even realized I was 
getting a coffee education. It was just a sign in the window that I thought was curious. Yeah. But I, I would argue that, not argue, but I would just, I would note that like education, inf- available information to the consumer is a definite indicator of third wave. Yeah, I think that's also a really interesting point to make just because, you know, if you think about this timeline, what is the era we're living in now, but the information era, you know, and we have so much information at our fingertips and we crave information about things. And maybe this is one of the reasons why this third wave has sort of manifested. And I think, you know, there's a huge amount of benefit from it. Knowing more about a thing allows us to make better decisions about it. And so having this information, you know, why, why would I want to have or go to a third wave shop versus go to a second wave shop? And it's nice to have more information, but, but what am I going to do with it? And, you know, the, the short answer is I'm going to make better coffee with better ethical decisions in how I acquire it and present it. And if you can have better quality and better ethics, I mean, wh- why wouldn't you want that? Um, and it goes along with with that that information thing. So, you know, I think it's really interesting that you put it that way, and I think it's really important. And you know, each wave does build off of the last wave. This is not, like you said, a, a you know a harsh definition between each one. Uh, I mentioned that Starbucks tries to dip its toe into this this third wave thing a little bit, where they try to have some you know, specific producer lots where the producer is large enough that maybe they can supply the specialty exclusive roastery shops that Starbucks has and whatnot. Because it's not just limited to one or the other. You'll find some really excellent specialty third wave roasters that make blends or have a blender and are very proud of their syrups or, you know, and that's okay. There's room for all of that kind of overlap. Um, you'll find third wave shops that are making instant coffees going all the way back to first wave because people do want that convenience and that comfort when they're out and about. And there is value in each of the third waves, uh, each of the three waves. So, you know, nowadays you'll hear people start talking about what is fourth wave and, and are we getting to it and has it been long enough? And, you know, I think the nomenclature, the the language that we're using this first, second, third wave, it's it's useful to a point, but we don't need to think about what is fourth wave. I mean, maybe maybe one day it'll be really clear. Maybe maybe we'll all agree on it one day. But I think there are going to be people that have issue with my breakdown of what I break down first, second, and third wave into. I have a fairly decent coffee education, and I'm I'm you know always trying to improve it. I find these are the the things that help break it down most easily. First wave cans pre-ground black and orange handles second wave express machine making stuff making drinks fresh to order specifically for a person customizable with syrups and house blends third wave celebrating farm origin that more information and then also along with that because you have that more information saying what is this coffee? What flavors can I get out of it? Oh my goodness, it's a fruit. <laughs> Celebrate <laughs> that and and try to find some of those flavors that are in coffee that were never e- exploited or celebrated in second and first wave coffee. What can we do now that we have this more information? Um, because it does tie into that information factor is, is now that we know more about where our coffee comes from, oh my goodness, it's a fruit. And there's so many people that I talk to that have no idea. 
that it grows in cherries. Are you a proponent then of saying we're not in a fourth wave or we don't even need that term? Or are you, because you're a very science forward shop. I mean, I know that you get into that stuff on a, on a very nerdy level, which I say is a compliment. Uh, and I've seen definite descriptions of a, a fourth wave, or I've seen people argue in favor of saying we're entering a fourth wave by crossing over into a more scientific era of coffee where we've, we've kind of, everybody knows, or we, you know, we, we've been expanding the education available to people and the different ways that it's processed and on and on and on. But now we're looking at innovation from more of a technical and a precision standpoint how do you feel about that terminology? Because I, what I pulled from what you said a moment ago was like the description in using the waves metaphor is valuable, but maybe we've gotten to a point where it's not needed as much. Yeah, I don't know if we're going to need those terms as much going forward. I know that they're really useful now in that breakdown there. If somebody else finds some use in breaking down something into a fourth wave, you know, a quick Google search here tells me that fourth wave is direct and fair trade, organic, direct reinvestment to specific farmers and families. I don't know that that's that different from what I've seen and known in third wave. Now, maybe it's more differentiated just by the, the strictness of that definition. But I think when Trish originally broke that down and, and moving forward with it, it was a useful thing for all of us. I don't know if it's that useful to break that other one apart from third wave. And maybe it is to you. So if you want to have a, def a fourth wave definition, you know, maybe Google's right. Maybe somebody else has, has a better definition. Maybe Trish will come up with something in five years. Maybe it'll be somebody else. But I think that, you know, it's useful now in that, in that breakdown of first, second, and third. And if there's use in breaking it down further as we go further in time, we're going to find that out, but I don't, I don't feel a need to have a fourth wave breakdown definition yet. Fifth or sixth wave. I don't know which wave we're probably on by now, according to somebody. Um, but I do know that breaking those first three down or the three that we are confident in is very useful just in terms of educating you as a consumer and educating, you know, each other in terms of where food comes from and how that grows and evolves because it's not simple and straightforward. If you wrote farm to table on a menu 30 years ago, someone might be, I don't know, grossed out or something. They might, they might <laughs> think that's weird, you know, so that's, it's not just in coffee, but there, there are terms like that and things that we, we use that, that show that we're growing and getting better in our specific industry. And the coffee industry is very large. So it's important that we grow and get better. And I think that we're doing that. I don't know if, I hope that fourth wave, if there is one, makes it better, you know, by that definition that I read, I think that that's, that's better, but I don't think we need to separate it yet from third wave. Maybe we should just make third wave better. And by making third wave better, maybe we're going to be making second wave better. And by making third wave better, maybe we're going to be making first wave better. Maybe. So, and that's the goal. I think, I think the goal is that those black and orange pots have better coffee in them. Those instant cans have better coffee in them. Um, those blends that your second wave shop presents, maybe they taste exactly the same, but maybe they're also more ethically sourced. And, and we know that there's sustainability both ecologically and 
and humanitarianly going into those. So, you know, when we break down those waves and when we think about getting better, it's not that we just want to get better so that we're better than the ones that came before us. We want everybody to get better. And that's why I think that breakdown of further waves isn't necessarily that useful because we should all be getting better all the time. I would say that having all of this information is what enables the show to exist and enables me to make better cups of coffee. And by understanding how I'm connected kind of back through this history of coffee waves, the coffee that I'm drinking, which came from your shop and is now inside me, is also better. So, I mean, by that extension, the insides of me are better now because we've had this conversation, Chris. Oh, this conversation makes my (laughs) insides better, too. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, For those of you who are disturbed, we'll be back again with like more (laughs) practical coffee education in our next episode. But thanks for joining us on Coffee Smarter. Uh, Chris, thank you for being here and, and sharing all that knowledge for me. I'm always amazed at how this one niche industry can connect us through time and space and just merely by drinking this cup of coffee i'm connected to farmers in guatemala right now and also to you know soldiers on the front in the 1930s and 40s and you just it's amazing how we are all wrapped around this one product well thank you ryan for having me and thank you to everybody who listens i really love this show and love sharing with everybody so I'm going to call this Coffee Smarter Conversation Connected Through Time. I'm not in the podcasting closet today, but I am in a closet, recording from the road in sunny, humid Madison, Wisconsin. My podcasting closet at home has acoustic panels on the walls, but this one has shelves of holiday decor, so my voice might sound a bit different. I still wanted to close out this session with some key takeaways. Coffee has a long, long history. But the past, say, 100 years has seen incredible growth. Roughly 20 years ago, a coffee scholar named Trish Rothkeb coined the wave terminology, first wave, second wave, third wave, to differentiate the growth in consumer interaction with coffee both over time and in a single moment. Chris did a great job of breaking down the waves, so I'll only quickly run through it again. And it can always be found on roastwestcoast.com. First wave covers the growth and popularity of coffee generally, with coffee primarily in a can, the classic pre-ground or instant coffee, from iconic brands like Maxwell House or Folgers that are still churning out coffee. The war effort in World War II really heightened awareness of the desire for coffee as an indicator of comfort and home. Thanks to companies like Starbucks in Seattle and Pete's in San Francisco, the second wave took off in the late 80s by creating a coffee shop culture with coffee drinks centered around the espresso machine. All of a sudden, What had been simple black canned coffee became an adventure with various sizes, flavors, and additives like flavored syrup, steamed and frothed milk, and even whipped cream. Coffee took another leap forward, into the third wave, near the turn of the century, with a new generation who had grown up during the second wave, and saw that information was the key to creating a better coffee experience. The focus reverted to the coffee, the producers, and the means of production. New shops wanted to celebrate the coffee. Chris doesn't think we need a fourth wave designator at this time. Maybe a future generation will look back as Chris and I have today to determine with more clarity that there was a transition. And Chris acknowledges that not all coffee people will agree with that. I know some shops are referring to the expansion of the coffee drink and the focus on science and mixology as the beginning of a new fourth wave. 
than coffee cocktails, and an increased focus on precision of extraction, not to mention cool things like playing with beakers and tubes to create the perfect cup of coffee. I'm not a science guy, but that sounds like a lot of fun, especially if I get a cup of coffee out of it in the end. Are we in the fourth wave, or surfing into one? Only time will tell. The goal in coffee generally is that there is better coffee in our cup across all waves, not retroactively, but moving forward as the industry expands. And that, my coffee-loving friends, is today's episode of Coffee Smarter. In the newsletter and in the show notes, I'm going to link to a show that Chris and I did together on the original Roast West Coast Coffee podcast several years ago about coffee waves. We go even further into the history, and if you want an even wider range of knowledge, I recommend the book Uncommon Grounds, The History of Coffee and How It Transformed Our World by Mark Pendergrast. You can find it online or in pretty much every major bookstore. Coffee Smarter will be back next week to chat a little bit about coffee storage. My apologies if you were here for that episode today. I mixed up my timeline a bit when closing out last week's show. It has been chaos through the summer here at the Roast West Coast Network headquarters, and even our remote headquarters, which is wherever we end up on the road. Thank you for listening to the show today. The goal of this Coffee Smarter podcast is to help you make a better cup of coffee at home. This podcast is part of the Roast West Coast Coffee Network. You'll find Coffee Smarter show recaps, details, and more coffee information at roastwestcoast.com. If you have coffee questions, please send them in. I've received a few recently that will be making the show in the near future. A big thanks to our readers and supporting listeners and our incredible coffee industry partners, including Coffee Cycle Roasting, Ignite Coffee Company, Marea Coffee, First Light Coffee Whiskey, First Light's original coffee whiskey just won a double gold medal. That's twice as good as any old regular gold medal for taste at the 2023 SIP Awards in the Flavored Whiskey and Moonshine category. It wasn't a surprise to me. I've already been drinking the award-winning coffee whiskey most evenings. Thanks to Cape Horn Coffee Importers, Zumbar Coffee and Tea, Ascend Coffee Roasters, Steady State Coffee Roasting, San Franciscan Roaster Company, Crossings Coffee, Asento Coffee Roasters, Camp Coffee Company, Hasea Coffee Source, and Moster Coffee Company, who opened their newest location in Hillcrest a week early. If you're in San Diego, go check that out. It's a great neighborhood to explore with a cup of coffee in hand. And on top of the opening, Moster announced another new location at the San Diego International Airport, coming in 2024. Thanks, Moster, for supporting this podcast and continuing to push this show in coffee forward. This episode of the Coffee Smarter Podcast is, was, has been written and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. Chris O'Brien has joined me as an executive producer. Check out RoastWestCoast.com for more Coffee Smarter content, and please, please sign up for the free or paid newsletter. I get a little notification when someone signs up, and honestly, it brings joy to my coffee-filled veins to know one more human being has fallen down into the coffee rabbit hole with the rest of us. And with that, I'm out today. Be awesome and drink good coffee. Smarter. This podcast is a listener and reader-supported creative effort. Some amazing listeners and readers have chosen the paid subscription to the Roast West Coast newsletter, which you can find on roastwestcoast.com. 
they are part of a growing community of people who appreciate craft coffee, learning about coffee, and being inspired by the guests on this show. This show doesn't survive without their support. So if you are able, and this show has been going pretty well with your morning mug of your favorite cup of coffee, please subscribe to the paid newsletter at roastwestcoast.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. And thank you for drinking good coffee.